0: as part of the jeremiah show it's the arwin lewis show arwin lewis is a singer a songwriter and a guitarist she inhabits our blue planet but her beliefs belong in the celestial realm as the daughter of peter lewis a founding member of rock and roll cult icons moby grape and the granddaughter of oscar-winning actress loretta young she's been part of the creative cosmos all of her life. She's a slice of sonic heaven, poised to enter your heart, mind, and soul. She's an artist, producer, and writer, and she's your radio host.
1: Good morning, everybody. You're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. I'm here as part of the Jeremiah Show, and my segment interviews um, independent and local musical artists um, to find out more about their careers and recent music that they've released and have released in the past. Today, I have a very special guest, my dad, Peter Lewis. Um, He's a founding member of the rock and roll heroes Moby Grape and he's just released a new album on Omad Records called Imagination and we're here to talk about songs from Imagination, his other solo projects and his extensive career in his world of music. So, hi dad. How's it going?
2: <laughs> fine.
1: <laughs> nice to see you.
2: Nice to see you.
1: Um thank you for coming on my radio show.
2: Well, you're welcome.
1: And um I thought, I mean, I know the answers to all of these questions already, but I thought we could just start by talking about where you're from and uh, what inspired you to start playing music. So where were you born?
2: Where am I from?
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: Hollywood. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, uh, I think I got interested in music because I was um, always interested in it when I was a little kid, my mom used to let me play with her, her little music box she had. I could wind it up and listen to all this, these sounds going on in this little music box had a kind of a little wheel with a bunch of little spikes coming out of it that would hit these, a comb type affair, like, you know, with the, you know, they were, everyone had a tone, you know, and I just got interested in that sound. And I guess, you know, in the end, the guitar is, is is a real piano. It's like the the piano and the guitar too. You know has that sound. You know like a chimey sound, which I always fell in, I fell in love with. You know before I could talk, and um, I was fortunate when I was thirteen. My mom took me to to Hawaii, and for my birthday before high school, and I got to sit between. I mean I don't know if the listeners would remember the Ozzie and Harriet show. If they're my age, they, they will. But uh, anyway, uh, their son, Rick Nelson, was. Uh, he had a bunch of hit records, and I used to have him on the show. every After every show, he'd play with his band. And, uh, and I was just totally infatuated with the sound that these guys could make, and with Rick in particular, because he was a very cool-looking guy, and uh, and the band was great, and I heard him live in Hawaii when I went with my mom. Sat between Ozzy and Harry and listened to Ricky um, singing in front of thirty thousand screaming chicks, and that was it. <laughs> I met him the next day, and he was nice to me, and I was just a, a, you know a fan. And my mom was of course. Uh, we went up to the Ozzy and Harriet's hotel room, and Rick was there, and I just seen this thing he did, and he was very humble and very nice to me, and so that sort of set me on this path that i've been on you know, forever It's a long road but it's, that's how it started for me
1: and also well since i guess we can tell our listeners grandma your mom was an actress named loretta young and so she used to take you to broadway musicals as well right so do you feel like a lot of all of that music from the broadway yeah, shows well, kind i
2: went to new york to, to live with my dad for a couple of years because my mom and him got divorced but the one silver lining was we got to see all the Broadway shows, the musicals, West Side Story, the original, and uh, The Music Man. Um, oh, all of them. Uh, Andy Mam was not a musical, but, but, um, but Rosalind Russell, who was the star of that, was uh, my mom's best friend and my, my brother's godmother. So, yeah, uh, you know, there, there was this show business history that I had, and it was, uh, you know, in the end, it sort of saved me when uh, from the from the sixties, because I think the message I got from my mom and her friends was that, uh, you know, it's great to be famous and, and all that, but you don't want to pay too much for that, you know. It's it's they did it uh, there for for most of them because they sort of uh, had to, you know they most of them became famous during during the d- depression and they were there was this uh, people were very very poor uh, my mom in particular was very poor when she was a little girl and uh, but they my my grandmother and and her sisters and her brother lived in a boarding house right next to a silent film studio so when they when the f- silent film studio my my grandmother's brother worked as an accountant at the film studio so when they needed extras they Call my grandmother, and she'd send the kids over there, and they'd earn, you know, a dollar to a day. And and then my mom, you know, she was very gregarious, she'd go up and grab the director by the pant leg, like, and say, you know, if you want me to say something, I can. Like this lady over here, you know, this lady that seems to be getting all this attention, And they thought she was cute. And so they, uh, you know, they gave her a small role, and, and she just, you know, like a duck takes the water with that. And... Um, Became a big movie star. And so they all, uh, you know, they and then her sisters married well, and they had a house on Sunset Boulevard, a mansion, really, in those days. And that's that, my mom's story was that she just kind of made, created herself, um, you know, like invented Loretta Young. Her well, na- name was of... really Gretchen, but Loretta is more romantic. And so. Yeah, that's uh, and you—you're sort of like her. You and you've got a little of that in you. Well, yeah. So I'm proud of her. Proud of you. Thank you. You know.
1: Well, what I wanted, the reason why I brought up the Broadway musicals, though, was to talk about how the music kind of influenced you. I feel like you have in your song structure um, a type of musical, uh, um, what's the word, formula, like for um, songs that like would fit into a musical. Like we're going to feature in its entirety Frank Zappa's Ghost today. And that is quite a piece of music. Um, I know we're, I want to come back to talking about the Cornell's and your surf band before you went into Moby Grape, yeah. but as far as, um, cause you're a songwriter and a guitarist and a musician. And so I want to talk about the aspect of songwriting that you have and which is like composing your songs, basically what inspired you to compose Frank Zappa's ghost, um, the way you did and turn it into like almost a mm. musical theater piece.
2: Well, you know, it's a, it can't, it can't, I had a dream about Frank Zappa, and uh, sometimes I get ideas from a dreams in a dream state and then wake up and stick them on my uh, machine before I forget and then flesh them out later, and that's really how Frank Zappa's ghost started. When I, I was in L.A. before I got in, in Moby Gray, went to San Francisco, uh we used to all go hang out uh in uh, Cantor's, which was a delicatessen on Fairfax and Frank Zappa would always be holding court in a booth In my dream in my dream I I walked uh I was walking in the Canters and Frank Zappa was it was sitting there you know and I heard and he kind of beckoned me over and I and I heard him singing Frank Zappa's ghost <laughs> and the music underneath it just when I was walking in the canters in my dream and then I got up, woke up and I had I knew I had to go get this idea down on this on my machine, which I did. and then the rest of it was kind of invented, you know, like and I tried to get as close to um, not a Frank Zappa song, but you know how he he would change tempos and do very strange things in his arrangements, you know, and so I tried to, to get it to sound kind of like like what he is as, as if Frank would dig that, you know, he would dig this song, you know.
1: Well, I feel like it totally is your song, and then um, the way you sing the blues is really cool, because I feel like you have all these b- blues riffs in your vocal, yeah. and then it changes the tempo, and then it goes into the Light of Spring from Tchaikovsky, and then it goes back into a different tempo, and then at the end, the lyrics that you bring in are totally Frank Zappa, but f- for some reason, it, like you said, it all works, it was a piece, it was a like a real musical composition that i feel like would be good in like a broadway frank zappa production or something if that ever happened
2: but he had that that thing he had that too kind of a you know he would write kind of theatrical little pieces i I don't know if it's very strange for the 60s but he was a strange guy (laughs) and uh but his music sounded like he when i dug about frank zappa is that he looked like his music sounded. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and to me, that's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if a, if a songwriter is hip to himself, you know, in other words, they, he knows what people think is cool or uncool about him. Whatever that is, Being seeing himself through the eyes of the beholder is what gives you, if, if you can express that in your music, you know, like I know where you think I'm at, you know, and then play something that, can communicate to the audience this sense of being able to deal with people's awareness of you. Uh, you succeeded, like Bob Dylan. It's the same way, you know. Like it, it, I, I heard in a documentary where Joan Baez was talking, she was saying, "Well, you know, they were telling me this guy was just really great," and she was thinking, "Well, how dare they, you know, like admire anybody but me, you know?" So I went to see him, you know, and I, I was very cynical. And by the time, you know, he got through, she was saying, Yeah, they were right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so that, the idea is like, if you don't ship immediately, like Rick Nelson was a guy, what's not to like about him? I mean, he could sing great, play great, look great, and his band was great. But when somebody comes up and they're slightly strange, you know, and they sell that to you. It's like because it, it takes a, another kind of uh, personality to to weather the storm there, to to hang in there through the, the sense of uh, you know the judgments that people might make a, a snap judgment they would make just seeing you say what the what's that person doing on a stage? You know, and I think that's what Joan Baez was saying about Dylan. All of a sudden, you know, she 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 knew why he was up there. You know. But he, but he must have, you know, like been able to, he had something to say, and he, he wanted to say it, and he was willing to go through that snap judgment phase. And, and when he did, of course, that's the, that's the hard sell. I mean, when you, when, or the, the big sell, when you, when you can do that, uh, that's what I think show business is about. You know, it's like being able to see yourself through the eyes of the beholder and sort of reflect that back. To an audience.
1: Well, so with Bob Dylan, right, he used his words and um, his poetic structure to express his opinions. Um, But you can also do that with music. And that's kind of what we're going to go back in time before that a little bit and talk about the Mm Cornell's if you'll talk about them. So you had a surf rock band in high school. Um, and that had a particular look. You were all very clean cut, and you had your hair slicked back and wore tuxedos, and um, there was saxophone, and you were the lead guitar, right? And what else did you have? Bass and drums for that band?
2: The Cornells? Yeah. Yeah, the Cornells was a, a, <laughs> a band of movie stars, kids
1: was in the band? And
2: uh, well, there was a uh, Bob Linkletter, who is uh, the son of Art Linkletter. Art Linkletter was a talk show host, but a very successful one. He had a weekly TV show. And then the, the drummer was uh, Charles Carell. and Charles's dad, Charles Senior, was the inventor of the, the original Amos and Andy on radio. And then he, uh, uh, you know, he got, you know. Rich doing that, and so he moved to California, and I think he was retired by the time he came here. But uh, but of course, they, they, there was a Amos and Andy TV show, and I'm sure he got paid for all that. So yeah, um, but so it was Charlie and Bob Lincart and me, and then Jim O'Keefe, Jim O'Keefe, a sax player. He his dad was Dennis O'Keefe, and Dennis O'Keefe had done movies with John Wayne. Not a not a huge star, but a, a, you know you would know I'm a character actor, and uh, and the bass player, his dad uh, ran a hamburger stand in Westwood, so <laughs> but we needed a bass player, and uh, there was no rock star <laughs> bass players around. A rock, I mean, music, uh, a, a movie star kid played bass that so we could get in the in the band. So that was the Cornells, and and we were sort of a dance band and. And uh, that was a very a good learning curve for me because uh, we none of nobody sang, so you just had to focus on playing. And you know, you we play all the dance songs, the uh, standards, and some rock stuff. And then we we did surf music when we made an album called um, What was it?
1: Surf Fever.
2: Surf Fever.
1: I think so. Yeah, it was. It was Surf Fever. Was it? Yeah.
2: Please, I mean, yeah. But it was, uh, and then that you know so we did some just, uh, stuff that other people, other people like originals by Dil- Dick Dale. Dick Dale was this huge surf music guy, and uh, you know we did some of his songs, some other stuff, you know, and that was the one record we made, one record, and then the Cornells. We all graduated from high school. And everybody went their separate ways. And, um, you know, I was the only guy that really, you know, I was, uh, I was going to be a pilot and, uh, you know, I was at Purdue university at that time. I, I didn't know, you know, I was, I still love music, but it didn't, my mother thought it wasn't enough for me to have a job for $20 a night in a bar in Santa Monica. And so I eventually ended up in Purdue in their professional pilots program. And, um, but during that time, I remember hearing the birds. And something happened to me when I heard the birds. I started to have these second thoughts about spending my life smelling jet fumes on a tarmac. And, and when I got back to California, I, uh, the night before I was going to go interview for a job at TWA, I was walking up and down the strip. My mom lived a couple blocks from the strip. And, uh, and I heard this music coming out of a nightclub. And I would heard the song, and I liked it, and I looked up and uh, looked at the marquee and the, the Lovin' Spoonful. So I went in there, and it wasn't just one song. They had, like, uh, all these songs, and they were just great, and they just played great. And um, so I, I didn't go to my interview. I, I bought a, a guitar, a Guild Thunderbird, because that's what the lead guitar player in the Lovin' Spoonful, Sal Yanowski, was playing. And I also got a. Uh, Rickenbacker 12 string because that's what McGuinn played in the birds and I I went in my bedroom I was living in my mom's house and you know I closed the door and my hair was starting to grow and I just played along with these records the records and trying to learn how to do this new music and my mom came in a couple of weeks later and she said you have to cut your hair or get out of here because she was disappointed that she wanted me to be a pilot you know she had spent some money sending me to Purdue and and it was hard getting me in there because, like, they only had seven guys a year got in that program. And I definitely wasn't one of the seven best pilots in the country, but she was Loretta Young. She used her influence, and I got in there. Um, so anyway, she was disappointed, and that was it for me and her for a while. But I just took my got my guitars, took, put them in the case, took them, stuck them in my little... had a little Red MG at the time, which is like that car that uh, Benjamin Braddock had in The Graduate and stuck the guitars in the trunk and got in or slept in it at night and I would wander around the strip and ask people who had long hair if they played a musical instrument because I was starting a band in the daytime until I, I finally, I mean this sounds weird, but I, I got a band together and we called it Peter and the Wolves and, and I got a job at Gazari's which up on the strip and, and and that that was great and we played there for six months and we rotated sets with Pat and Lolly Vegas and Pat and Lolly Vegas turned out to be Redbone that had that song Come and Get Your Love and uh, you know and, and during that time I met these other club musicians and they, they you know the one in particular this guy named Joel Scott Hill who was uh, sort of a when I say a he was like a show band not not a show band cuz he he had he wasn't combing his hair back anymore you know he he could do the beatles tunes and but soul tunes too He's a great singer Great guitar player
1: Well dad yeah. We're gonna um, We're gonna go to break Really quick But when oh. we come back Sorry I mean to interrupt sorry. you No We're gonna continue on With this story You're gonna hear more About Peter and the Wolves And then Moby oh, Grape thin- And we're also Yeah don't go anywhere Because this is gonna be It's only getting started And we're also gonna get To hear uh, my dad's music From his recent release On OMAD Records Imagination His previous release On OMAD Records Called The Road to Zion And we're gonna take you Out to break with his track Nobody's Love that he wrote with Jerry Miller of Moby Grape. It's a beautiful jazz rock tune that only he could create. So please enjoy and when you come back in we'll hear his version or his song The Road to Zion that he recorded with James Lowe from the Electric Prunes and Sandy Nez on a summer night. You're listening to the Arwen Lewis Show. We'll be back in just a minute.
3: So once again from a world outside That keeps them where no one will ever reach out to the other. Those that have been.
1: And Aaron And
4: And we're we're About Time time. And you're listening to the Arwen Lewis segment on the Jeremiah Show
1: Check us out at abouttimeduo.com
2: Hi, this is Peter Lewis of Moby Grape You're listening to me on the Arwen Lewis Show
1: everybody, you're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. This is Arwen Lewis, and I'm here with my special guest today, who happens to be my dad. His name's Peter Lewis, and he's from the rock and roll band Moby Grape from the 1960s. He's had a long, extensive career in the music business, and we're here celebrating his life and career as a musician and talking about his new release, Imagination, off of OMAD Records. We're gonna be premiering his song, Frank Zappa's Ghost in its entirety, uh, playing that in its entirety on the Arwen Lewis Show for the first time today. And you just heard his song, Road to Zion. That was from his previous OMAD Records release called Road to Zion. And we left break uh, talking about uh, the beginning of your musical career um, on the Sunset Strip and your band, Peter and the Wolves. And how was that experience for you transitioning from Peter and the Wolves to Moby Grape? And how did you move from that band um, to Moby Grape? And how did you meet the guys? And let's talk about, um, you know, how you guys started recording and writing music together.
2: Well, the the guy I told you, jo, Joel Scott Hill, who we we I met Joel, and Joel wanted to get in a band that wasn't doing cover tunes; it was or doing original music, and so that was uh, that was the plan. And at some point, you know, we needed a bass player, and uh, he, and, and he said, "Well, I know a guy, but he's crazy." And I said, well, it's the 60s, column, you know. <laughs> so, here enters Bob Mosley, who had played with Joel until Lee Michaels joined the Joel Scott Hill Trio, and Bob didn't want to share the money four ways or something, so he split. And now, he, you know, here he comes in, he, he came down to L.A., you know, he was this guy with, he was still in the razor cut hair comb back and the goatee phase, he wasn't a hippie or anything. And uh, it was, I was—I went to the airport to pick him up, and he's in the bar, you know. And he had on an Izod shirt and Bermuda shorts and tennis shoes—not not a hippie, you know. And so, I, you know, I—he I, was he had his base leaning up against the bar, you know. So I went and said, "Well, are you Bob Mosley?" And he just didn't say anything. He just grabbed his base and followed me to my car, and then, um, you know, we got halfway to. You sit in the back, you know, and I was chauffeuring him <laughs> in L.A. And uh, he asked me. He says, uh, "Oh, he says uh, we stopped at this stoplight." Says, "Well, I can sing anything up to high C and play like a it's expletive here. Uh, what can you do?" And you know, I said, "Well, <laughs> you know, I'm starting a band. You know, playing original songs, man. You know, like." And so we we got to um, this practice where we were gonna. Joel was there, and we met Joel just practicing. And Bob starts to play, and it was like, like uh, geez, Almighty, you know, because he was just kind of—he uh, didn't, he wasn't a finesse guy. He just bang, 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 bang on the bass, and and sing this with this voice he had. He didn't, you know, like he, I the, 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 you know, it's just incredible singer, and. um Anyway, so the, we, uh, we were practicing. We had a drummer. We got a drummer and we were practicing in this little practice place in LA. And the drummer that was there had been interviewed by the Jefferson Airplane's manager when Skip Spence, who was the first drummer for the Jefferson Airplane, left. And he, was, he came to LA to look for another drummer for the airplane. And he interviewed this guy that I had worked with. It was in Peter and the Wolves for a while. And until he went to play with Joel, because Joel Drummer went to play with the Turtles. And so there was this thing going on where people were like trying to get in position, you know, to, to sort of get, get to, um, you know, time in, in the limelight, you know. And so anyway, this guy... Uh, this, this Jefferson Airplanes' ex-manager or, manager, or ex-manager at the time, uh, you know, like went and you know, talked to this uh, drummer that I'd been playing with before, and then he'd come back and looking for a band for Skip because Skip wanted to have a band. Skip is really not a drummer. He was a guitar player, songwriter. But, uh, you know, he had cool hair, so I guess Marty Ballin saw him at The Matrix in San Francisco and I said, you're our drummer, because he thought he had the right look, you know. And, uh, and he could play drums. You know, Skip was a, sort of a musical genius. But anyway, so we hadn't met him yet, but we were in L.A. And, and the next day after this practice, this guy was at this practice. I noticed a guy in the corner kind of like with a... You know, he had a black turtleneck on, but like a folk guy. You know, like a black goatee. Looked like Peter Paul and Mary. went of that that kind of an image, and kind of twisting his goatee, listening to us play. And and the, the, I got a call from the drummer the next morning. He said this this Matthew wants to see us. And I said, Who's Matthew? And he said, Well, this guy. He came. He was at the rehearsal. I said, Oh yeah, yeah. And he said, He's got a he's got an apartment. He's he's like the airplanes Jefferson Airplanes manager. And he wants to talk to us, so we all showed up in Matthew's apartment in uh, in Hollywood. He had an apartment in Hollywood too, you know. Anyway, we went up there, and he was uh, saying, "Well, why don't you come to San Francisco and put your band together there?" And so Joel didn't like him. Joel just thought he was—he didn't trust him or something. Yeah, the Joel is one of those guys. He's—he knows it. He knows when when he sees one in that business, which you, you know you got to be careful. And he didn't want to go, but me and Bob sort of did want to go, and we went and met Skip Spence up there. And um, you know, like two weeks or three weeks later, somehow we needed we needed a drummer. They didn't like the guy that that the drummer I we had. So um, Skip didn't like him because he was kind of like he could play and everything and sing, but it was Skip was more like a. Like Keith Moon, you know, like when he played drums, he was all over the place. He was a showman, you know, and and so anyway, the drummer didn't make the cut, so we needed a drummer. So uh, I guess uh, Bob knew these two guys, Don Stevenson and Jerry Miller, that had played in a group with him called the Frantics that he played after he got out, got away from Joel Hill. And, And just saying how these things... You know come together and they showed up and and they were just we do it was like you know like it's chemistry and we jammed together and and, it, and it, it, that was it yeah you know
1: it became one of the most influential rock bands of the 1960s and your tradition is still carrying on today I mean I feel like your music is becoming even more popular now or there's at least a resurgence of it um, compared to when you you know first released everything but I mean we could go on for th- hours and hours talking about Moby Grape but I wanted to move into your music and so after Moby Grape um, whatever, you had your family and everything and here I am <laughs> and then we had you and Mario but also you went to school at UCS being got a degree in art and then after that um i think i must have been like three or maybe five but you started working with john mcphee from the doobie brothers and you recorded your first solo album and so what made you decide to you know pursue the solo route and were you writing songs the whole time um since the end of moby grape uh, throughout your yeah, life. I think it's so it's about you.
2: whether you have songs, to, you know, like for a long time I went through like the, there was a, the Moby Grave experience, you know, I mean, it, it was um, traumatic, you know, I mean, it, it did something where I just, I, when I met your mom, you know, I was, uh, at sort of the bottom of my career up there, and the band was... um there was a lot of drugs and, you know, it was, uh, you know, the venues were smaller and smaller and it, it just was, and I was homeless, was basically, uh, you know, going from one person's couch to the next. And, um, you know, I just couldn't go on like that anymore. And then your mom showed up at a gig and she was this little co-ed from uh, Mills College up there and cute and everything and liked me. I said, hmm, you know. (laughs) So, uh, but to make a long story short, uh, I sort of got out of the music business for a long time, and that's it. Ended up with uh, going back to school because I had sort of fried my brain cells with the drugs and everything, and so you know I needed to put the reconnect my synapses in a way that uh, so I could uh, continue with being creative, and I think art. Uh, was the way I, I felt like if I could, and I always liked painting and drawing and anyway, anyway, so I just thought that's a good thing to major in, and I did. And after I graduated, then we came here, or we were here, because I, UC, UC, I went to UCSB, that's the school I got in. And it, it's just purely you know, circumstantial, but that's why we ended up here and we we're sitting here tonight. So, you know, it's funny how it all works. You talk about the songs. You know, it was John McPhee. The Doobie Brothers were like, uh, you know, the, Doobie, the some of the members of the Doobie Brothers, they're, they're all Moby Grape fans. And they had, uh, when I, I, first of all, I met the drummer, Who came? And he was not in the Doobie Brothers yet, but he came to my house. I had a house in Boulder Creek, California, and all of people used to show up there. One of the guys in Paul Revere and the Raiders, "Shops, you want to have a band?" (laughs) You know, I was just up there with this house and a big room, of a big sound system, and played music all the time. You know, but the band was sort of, you know, we didn't, we weren't playing anymore. You know, but I, and so it was this weird kind of a dead space. And yet I was very happy up there just doing that. And one day this guy, John Hartman, shows up, a tremor. And, uh, you know, just a just hellacious tremor. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, so we had this band for a while with him and me. And these two two bass players, and one of them was a the guy that was in the Doobie Brothers, and the other guy was the guy that was hanging out with me in my house. You know, that was my friend Skeeter. And then, uh, and then somehow he one day he called me. He was in San, lived in San Jose, and he called me and he says, "You know, come down here because I found Skip, and Skip was, you know, he had uh, Skip had an episode that." And he ended up, like, having to be institutionalized for a while. And then uh, and when he got out, you know, he, he went back to San Jose. He went to San Jose, and, and somehow this uh, Tommy Johnson, who was the songwriter of the Doobie Brothers, had found Skip. And at the same time, John Harvey went down there looking for Skip. He found Skip down there, and they were going to have this band, you know. And I was kind of, at that point, kind of not interested in playing with Skip because Skip you know, like for all of his genius was totally unpredictable. You know, like, I mean, scary that in a way and not in a way, but scary. But anyway, so I went down there cause I figured what the hell and I went down there and here's Skip and with Skip is Tommy Johnson and Tommy, you know, like we all set up and Tommy was playing his songs. He, I remember him playing, listen to the music. You know, and he'd get right in your face and sing, you know, like, and you got to put a harmony on top of him, you know, it's like. <laughs>
1: Well, we're going to finish um, yeah. talking about that story after the break, and then we're going to talk about, um, quickly, your um, first solo record you made with John McPhee of the Doobie Brothers, and then we'll go into the OMAD Records releases that I want to focus on mostly at the end. And this next song uh, that we're going to take you out to break with is my dad, Peter Lewis. Um, his, it's a song called Only the Fool, Only a Fool, that um, he wrote, I think, um, before he released that record with John McPhee. And recently, John Nicola accidentally found it on a tape that my dad had sent him with a different song. And I'm so glad he found it because this is one of my favorite songs in the world. And anyway, you're listening to Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. I'm here today with my dad, Peter Lewis, from the band Moby Grape. And you can find out more about him at omadrecords.com. And please enjoy his song, Only a Fool, from his record, Road to Zion.
3: Kill it back.
2: listening to Katie Cole on the Arwen Lewis radio show.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to our, the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. I'm here with my guest today, who happens to be my dad. And he's a musician, singer, songwriter from the legendary rock and roll band Moby Grape. And we're here uh, at the end of the show talking about um, his recent solo releases. So... Um, my dad and I have both released records with John D. Nicola on OMAD Records. It's an independent label based out of New York City. And my dad has just released his second album on OMAD Records. Um, some of the songs are co writes between my dad and John D. Nicola. And by the way, John D. Nicola is um, an accomplished songwriter himself as far as a label head and musician. He wrote the songs um, Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes for the movies Dirty Dancing. And he and my dad work really well together and um, song writing so um, I thought we could just talk about yours and John's songwriting process um, how you write together and um, talk about the songs that you wrote together on imagination so you we just actually brought everybody back in with a song imagination and that was a co-write right between you and John yes and yeah. how does your writing process work with John
2: uh, well he uh, you know he wrote he writes music you know, he doesn't write lyrics, so he's he would send me he'd send me uh, the uh, some music that he was thinking about, and then I take it and stick it on my machine and sort of arrange it. You know, stick it in a if I have some words and they have you know the music and the words sort of have to fit. So I I take it and I rearrange it so it it sounds like uh, you know an, an arrangement. Right. And then and then you know if I have some of it, I, it just uh, yeah, I have to think it up. To, what does it sound like? You know, I mean, um, we the mood is, you know, we want to get the right mood, and uh, you know, I think we we somehow there's some kind of telepathic thing going on between me and him, because it's a, we usually don't have to throw anything out. It's more like uh, you just work on it a little a little more. And 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 it's a weird kind of process where, you know, somehow like in that song, imagination, there was a point at which it kind of went on for a while, and that particular song, you know, that you know, it's like you don't want to. My my thing about songs is trying not to be redundant. You know, you want to. Like you're talking about the musicals, well, the songs that were written for those musicals and movies and everything were like you, you want you're te- you're trying to tell a story, or put a you know like a in the midst of another story something that explains what's going on in the plot kind of thing, and I think uh, you know that's the way I think about songwriting uh, more than I do anything else. But if I'm trying to do it, I mean it's like you don't want to. Um, you know, be too off the wall with that, but but anyway, with imagination, there is this point at which, you know, I just thought there was an extra verse. you know I've, I've heard Jackson Brown say this? You know, where it's like you know he's got you know like a uh, twenty verses, but you know the, the arrangement will only allow because you know people have a listening a capacity to listen to something from point A to point. Z and they, you know, after that they sort of if if you, they're waiting around for you to get through with what you're trying to say, the thing. Unless you're Bob Dylan, who can keep people there for like <laughs> half five minutes because he's a genius, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, it's it's songs, you know. They have to sort of have a beginning, middle, and end, and you know. And I think with the imagination, there is a point at which. You know, there was, but there was enough. We had enough recorded to to do the edits without having to do anything over. Right. And I think you know, like that so somehow he and I get into a situation where we can do that because mm-hmm. he's very, uh, he's good at uh, uh, engineering. He's a great engineer, not not just a songwriter, but he knows how to use his uh, his equipment. So anyway, so that's how that one worked out but it it has a nice little modulation at the end and then, you know, there's a, 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 a at the end, he plays the slide part, which is really nice. I really like it. But I thought it was too long. And I thought, no, just instead of doing that, make the song shorter by cutting out a verse. So it's not like, because I write the words, I say, well, let's just cut out your part and they'll leave mine in. You know, <laughs> it, 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 try not to get on an ego trip with it. You know, just because, it's, you, you know, you're, you're interested in the song.
1: Yeah. Well, what you about. Know, sure. Cutting and pasting, too. um, Like, so you, we also, my dad and I both actually work with an incredible musician named George Adrian from L.A. And in the song that we're going to take you out to break with is called Just Like Sunshine. And this is like one of my favorite songs on, I mean, I love the whole album, uh, Imagination. But Just Like Sunshine is so beautiful. The lyrics are beautiful. And the way you and George speak to each other on the guitar is like you can, it sounds like one guitar part, but you were able to use this cut and paste process so you both recorded a guitar track and then you cut and paste the parts to make it one, right? And it ends up being yeah, well, this... well, that's what's
2: oh. very cool about the digital format, mm-hmm. you see. Because, but I've heard a lot of people don't like it, you know. They want it to just be like a thing that happens in real space-time. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but I, I think... Uh, uh, you know, and I do, too. I really do. But everybody that was uh, playing music before uh, the dot-com revolution likes the idea of, like... Because, you know, you don't know what you're listening to sometimes, you know? But but in some cases, if, if the time and space is not in your favor, and if you don't live in the same city as somebody or whatever it is, got to get what you get and then take and sort of edit and put what you need of it, and, and that's how these things... That's how music is created nowadays, because that's the future. Yeah. So that's what this was, you know.
1: Well, we'll finish up uh, that thought after this next break. We're going to take you out with my dad's song, my dad's Peter Lewis from Moby Grape. The song that you're going to hear is Just Like Sunshine, and you're listening to Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis radio show.
0: This is Parker. I'm a multi-instrumentalist uh, songwriter, musician from San Luis Obispo. And uh, I'm part of the band Walk the Whale. You can find
2: it at walkthewhale.com, as well as our link tree to all relevant social media platforms. And I'm here on The Jeremiah Show. Hi, this is Peter Lewis and Moby Grape. You're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show.
1: Good morning everybody. You're listening to Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. I'm here with my very special guest, my dad, Peter Lewis, from the rock and roll band Moby Grape. And you just heard his song, If I Just Had You, from his most recent release on OMAD Records called um, Imagination, co-produced by my dad and John Nicola. Uh, my dad and john have some co-writes on there and then some originals but just my dad and really quick before we end the show first of all thank you dad for sharing some of your history with me on this special day and also if you could write a song with one person who you haven't written a song yet with who would it be
2: um wow you know, well, uh jackson brown mm. No, I have met Jackson Brown, so you mean somebody I have never met?
1: Just who you haven't written with yet. Huh? Just somebody you haven't written with yet.
2: Oh, yeah, well, Jackson.
1: Well, I could yeah. totally hear you guys collaborating and doing something extremely cool. And we could talk about that and, you know, the rest of your career for a few more hours. But anyway, um, unfortunately, we're running out of time. And so we're going to just stay tuned. We'll have part two next week. <laughs> um, possibly. Yeah. And um, also I want to tell everybody that we're going to be playing an awesome trippy song for you. This is my dad's song called Frank Zappa's Ghost. You're going to hear it in its entirety right here at the end of the show. This is off of his new album Imagination released on OMAD Records on June 16th, 2023 last month. And you can find out more about my dad, Peter Lewis at omadrecords.com You're listening to Arwin Lewis on the Arwen Lewis radio show. Dad, thank you so much again, and it was a pleasure having you on my radio show.
2: <laughs> well, you're welcome.
3: I can have all my doors <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> And fluffery, don't disappear and all the edges say, If it's time I open up and find nobody there. About how to get it back off of losing the street. All I could do is just stand there, keep on trembling in my dread. Then it's fun
0: the arwen lewis show was brought to you by evolve entertainment host arwen lewis executive producer jeremiah d higgins producer and sound engineer richard dr d dugan you can find arwen lewis and all of her music at dot and follow her on instagram at Arwin lewis